it was an unbelievable experience, but just not it. I just had no previous like concept for what it was. And I remember I gone to the, like, I was, I was late to sign up for the, for university because my parents like initially did not want me to go. And there was like a massive like campaign to get them to go. At some point I was getting like professors from Berkeley and they wanted me to go to school here in the UK to email them anyway, all while living in their house, which was really awkward for them and for me. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Takeaway Club, where I talk to interesting people across different walks of life to get to know their stories and more importantly, how they got to where they are. In the latest episode of The Takeaway Club, I chat with Vedika Jain, who's one of the coolest people on tech twitter and in recent times one of my favorite people as well vedika is currently a vc at the weekend fund and previously held product roles at companies like stripe and trolayer vedika has a rather unusual and one of the most interesting career paths i've come across which started as a 17 year old immigrant to the us studying economics at uc berkeley In our conversation we spoke at length about her early life and how the decisions her parents made set her up for success her transition from product to venture capital which included riding fantasy memos on weekends by gathering information on techcrunch and how that eventually led her to Ryan Hoover and the weekend fund if you are a fan of startups venture capital unusual career paths or pop culture references you will absolutely love this episode Without further ado, let's jump straight into the conversation. Hey Vedika. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Thank you. Thank you for accepting my invitation to be on the Takeaway Club podcast. I'm super thrilled to be chatting with you, hearing more about your background and how you got into venture capital and what you and Ryan are up to at Weekend Fund among other things. Yeah. Yeah, let's get let's get into all of that. I want to start off with an interesting person I should say. Who's Harry Stebbings? How did you come to know about him? Yeah. Harry is a VC and a VC podcaster. He runs this show called 20 Minute VC. Um I believe it's the largest VC podcaster. He's the largest VC podcaster in the world. Um the reason I got connected to Harry was because so for context I live in London. That's where I'm calling in from today and Harry lives in London as well. But when I moved to London, I didn't previously go to school here or work here, so I really had no friends here. and my brother knew Harry from uh Twitter and he was trying to look out for me and help me make friends so he like uh DM'd Harry and he was like hey my sister moved to London she doesn't know anybody in London can you hang out with her and that's how we started hanging out so he was my first and only friend in London that's amazing uh, <laughs> I, yeah i love how uh, twitter allows us to do this you know it's it's kind of like the harry potter saying right twitter is there for anyone who seeks help in a way <laughs> just like how yeah. dumbledore says to harry <laughs> absolutely love that i uh, love re- that framing <laughs> so rewinding the clock a bit london is basically as we speak is the last leg of a lot of other interesting things that you have done but if we were to go back a little so you went to the school in the us you attended uh-huh. a coding camp in berlin and of course you work in london so that to me sounds like a road 
less taken uh, i think it's robert frost's poem if i'm not mistaken uh, and certainly not a journey that you're used to hearing about someone growing up in bangalore so i'd love to hear about some of your experiences growing up and some mm-hmm. important events which led to what you're doing right now yeah so taking it all the way back i grew up in bangalore and i had a very um free childhood because my parents were traveling a lot so i have a brother who i just mentioned he's uh 2 years younger than me we had a dog who was roughly the same age so my parents decided to have two kids and get a puppy within 3 years um and we basically felt like we were like the government of our own world in a way uh because we did not have a lot of authority um in our lives outside of our school outside of school and what we decided to do with this freedom i think it's like pretty standard for what kids decide to do with freedom they explore their curiosity um so for example we decided to investigate a break in in an office that was in the same like building complex as us you know because why not like we used to take our dog to school and then also get him to pick us up on the way back because why not we organized um hide and seek games that was the, at the scale of the entire neighborhood and this one time we lost some younger kids which is not ideal but all of this to say that yeah it was it was a very uh free childhood and it's been very defining in my world view now because also because i think when there aren't a lot of um like my parents were definitely they definitely did have like a strong presence but let's say they were often gone like a few days a week the default when like a problem arises like for i mean you live in india you know this maybe less now but the electricity used to go all the time right like um and the default was to solve problems by ourselves and i think we've really carried that uh with ourselves as well and then um when i was 17 i was lucky enough um to go to uc berkeley um it's about 25 minutes from san francisco i'd never visited um the west coast so i pretty much just and my parents didn't drop me off to school so i just like rocked up in a place i'd actually had very little context about and i watched the oc growing up and my entire mental model of california was based on the oc which was it's actually like newport beach la area completely different vibe from like northern california where I, where i ended up going it's like convertibles and palm trees and beaches and i i ended up going to northern california where it's actually raining all the time there's i always joke there's like more indian people than back in india for example there's like no good, yeah anyway it was an unbelievable experience but just not it i just had no previous like concept for what it was and i remember i got to the like i was i was late to sign up for the for university because my parents like initially did not want me to go and there was like a massive like campaign to get them to go at some point i was getting like professors from berkeley and they wanted me to go to school here in the uk to email them anyway all while living in their house which was really awkward for them and for me um anyway whatever i end up at berkeley i'm like a week late miss like the orientation miss like the international student orientation which is supposed to be like the on ramp essentially from like wherever you're coming from to school to life at berkeley um and i'm in the engineering dorm 
and there's like all of these 17 year olds and 18 year olds just like me and they're talking about how they want to build parts of the future and I never heard like that type of like I just never heard people talk like that of any age back at home and I was like I don't know what's going on I was like I actually just have no idea what they're talking about but I want to be a part of this like at least like culturally want to be a part of this so yeah I basically like did so many tech internships in college like three years you know three a summer type of thing and then when I graduated, um, actually, I should say the semester before I graduated, I finished class early, but it's all about maximizing the amount of time you have for your OPT, which is the extension to your students. I have an Indian passport um, and I wanted an internship. So I saw, um, also tell me if this is like getting too much in like the weeds, by the way, um, but- no, Absolutely yeah. not. Okay, Just okay. Going, this is fascinating stuff. <laughs> Okay, okay. So um, I saw a job posting on the job board of my school to work at a venture capital fund um, called Mithril Capital. I went to the website and it said something, it was a very simple website, but it said something about building enduring businesses. And I come from a family business background and in a family business, like that's the game, how to build an enduring multi-generational business. I just never heard that same kind of like, you know, thinking um, in like what little bit that I did know about like tech investing. So I was like, I just need to work for these people. The only problem was they were hiring for a principal role that required 13 years of experience. And of course I had like negative six months of experience because I had not graduated. I literally had nothing to lose. I had so little to lose that I decided to email them about like 10 times. Then they interviewed me for six months for a six month internship. Um, but what happened was I, that was my first um, taste of venture investing. Um, and it was like, it was, it was unlike anything that I'd experienced before, because I was like, how are these people getting paid to hear other people talk about how they want to build parts of the future? Like, this is the most, this has got to be the most energizing job in the world. And also because I was so much younger than anybody on their investment team, they were very generous. And I've come to really like this quality um, in people in tech. They have this generosity of spirit. You know, it's not even necessarily like, sometimes it can be far more like, you know, transaction, like, you know, I can re refer you for a job type of thing. But I think it's larger than that. It's like this overall like generosity of spirit. And I experienced it so, uh, so directly at Mithril because like the oldest person on that investment team was maybe like 10 years older than me. And in other internships, what they might have done is like pretend that, you know, like I've got everything under control. Um, but instead, they rather were like, you know, this is an opportunity for us to teach you everything we know about the world. And, and that really stuck with me. Um, and then I graduated. I went to Stripe. The reason I went to Stripe is um, the the managing partner at Mithril, we were chatting and he was like, I was like, I don't. I was like, how do I pick what to do next? You know, like, how does how does one even go about like that? figuring that out and he was like okay what do you think is true about the future and I was like okay well I was like I don't know a lot about a lot but I know that the bulk of commerce is moving online except maybe you know like your immediate needs like your drugstore and experiences and it was obvious that Stripe was the company 
you know, powering that future. So I went to Stripe um, out of school um, and Stripe was growing explosively fast um, at the time. Remarkably, it's still growing explosively fast. Um, I was on the risk team, which was this like really interesting um, group of 20 people, half were engineers, half were non-engineers, and none of us actually had a risk background at the time. And we're basically managing risk for like, you know, at the time it was like 20 bill, I think of payments volume. Um, and yeah, um, and then I unfortunately lost the H-1B visa. So instead of uh, moving to Stripes London office, I actually decided to take a gap year, um, go home to India, spend time with my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles. Uh, it was glorious. Um, then I went to Berlin uh, in the summer. It, I tried to do a coding bootcamp. Um, it was, I realized it takes far longer than nine weeks to learn how to code. Like that was like my biggest takeaway from the coding bootcamp. Uh, and then I moved to London and I joined a company called TrueLayer. TrueLayer is basically built, it's like kind of like the plaid of Europe. I was the first product manager to help them take their product to market. I love companies like TrueLayer, Plaid, Twilio, Clearbit, et cetera, because they basically power business infrastructure. So if you do it right, it's not even, it's not about what you're building. It's about all the businesses that get built on top of what you were building, which I thought was like a pretty rewarding thing uh, to be working on. Yeah, that basically brings me to Weekend Fund. Um, the, the way Weekend Fund happened exactly is we have to go back to Harry Stebbings. I wanted to get back into venture, but I was interviewing with some like London-based funds and honestly, like the interviews were going nowhere, but I was like, okay, the internet should make it easier to start doing the, the work you want to do without permission, right? Like, you know, it should, if you want to do something, like you have way more tools to actually do the thing than ever before. So it's like, what part of venture investing can I actually do? And I realized like the only part I can do at that moment was actually a diligence evaluating whether, um, you know, we should invest in a company. So I started writing these fantasy investment memos. So basically like if I saw an announcement, I'm sure you read TechCrunch, right? Like they cover like funding announcements all the time, as well as a lot of venture capital blogs cover funding announcements. So Union Square Ventures, A16Z and a whole bunch. So what I do is I'd go there and if the company looked interesting, I tried to basically like reverse engineer at like a memo on the product, the market, et cetera. And I didn't have access to any like, you know, proprietary information, of course. I'd never talked to the founders. I didn't have the capital. But when you're actually constrained in that way, you end up doing like, you know, you end up going really far. Uh, like I'm so proud of the some of the fantasy investment memos that I wrote. And then I sent some to Harry and then Ryan just, I just completely lucked out because Ryan reached out to Harry for recommendations for the job. And Harry was like, well, there's this girl, she's writing these memos. <laughs> I think you should talk to her. And he connected us. I joined Weekend Fund um, part-time initially. So this was, you know, I come back home around seven and jump on calls with founders. Um, and then I was like, this is the best job. I need to figure out how to make it full-time. And then, yeah. Um, I'm really grateful because when we announced the second fund, so we actually announced the third fund um, a few months ago, but when we announced the second fund, um, I joined full time and it's been the, it's been the best job I've ever had. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so you have uh, such a movie story, to be honest. 
and uh, so many interesting aspects uh, that i want to double click on here yeah just touching upon weekend fund uh, here is yeah. it looks like it is one of those you know micros mates harvey specter stories it's that great. came to my mind but going yeah. back to your childhood as well it looks like again got picking up one of the other references is you had like a phineas and ferb time growing up yourself and yeah. your brother so you had a lot of freedom to experiment yeah. you ran with your curiosity which is yeah. amazing coming from a brown family i know how hard that is right mm. uh, so especially when you have a family business on uh, the usual path is the family grooming you to take it over right uh, mm-hmm. was that ever a question for you or uh, yeah i mean you really to get the true answer to this you need to get my mom and dad <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you my take um so a couple of things um my dad actually uh reads a lot my he almost has like two different lives one life is like he's like runs a f- small flour mill in Mysore which is about four hours from Bangalore and then um and then he has this other life where like you know he's like all about like behavioral economics and heuristics and like biases and he reads like every blog and spends like so much time on twitter so that other side so i think we actually learned from both sides so from the so my brother now just founded a company but like growing up if you grow up in a business family it's pretty clear that starting a business is actually like a very meaningful thing to do you know you can give like real people real jobs and like do real things in the world uh, so we got that from the more like business side and then we learned a lot like i don't know like there were lots of like behavioral economics books lying around the house so i just like picked them up and i start reading it um and my dad always had this like whatever you do you know you just have to do it like the best in the world he always just had this like like honestly from the time we were born he'd like say that in terms of the family business stuff what's very interesting is i think like this is how like the path is supposed to go uh, for like people like us where it's like okay so you grew up in a family business and then it's like you go ab- abroad and obviously it's such a position of privilege but like if you can go abroad you go abroad for like 4 years to like experience the world and then you take those experiences and then you apply to the family business so that's like pretty much like the path right set out for you the the the, the thing that this path misses is that your wants and your expectations will completely change at different points in this path like you can't just stand at the beginning of the path and just like you know predict what like future you will want or like future your parents will want and that's basically what happened so i think when we first went abroad like that was the path in front of us but of course like i we just got so so sucked in culturally to like the tech like i don't know like the tech world that i think honestly there was almost no no going back and i give my i should give my parents so much credit um i think in general we don't give our parents enough credit for how much they adapt with us 
like these same parents were like, you're never going to America for college are like the same parents who are like, you know, when this podcast comes out, my mom's going to like listen to it like 20 times and send it to her friends and ask me follow up questions. And they like want to know what weekend fund is investing in and what like shifts are happening in the world. So, you know, things have like it really evolved as like we kind of, you know, gone down that path, I guess that that's so beautiful so actually as you were saying that i really want to have a parallel conversation with you just yeah. about you know growing up in india and uh, yeah. uh, the kind of stuff that parents do uh, to facilitate uh, to do our best in whatever we want to do so i grew up in this small town called shirangam which is oh, yeah. kilometers uh, from chennai uh, and uh, even for that, uh, being in the SaaS industry for a couple of years, you can see that there is a complete 360 degree turnaround in the way I look at things, you know. So it's like there is not a lot of difference between Chennai and Sri Rangam, to be honest. It's the same people. They, they speak the same language. But I think uh, tech is beautiful in that way uh, because it adds a whole new dimension to the way that uh, you approach things, right? I can only imagine what that would have done for you uh, being at a place like UC Berkeley surrounded by insanely smart people, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was huge. Yeah, <laughs> the impact was huge. But yeah, this is also why I'm really bullish on the future of remote work. I think it definitely has its issues. For example, like right. I think you know, like being on the Zoom call, like the energy doesn't transfer the same way as we were, if we were like, you know, in like a cafe eating idli and drinking yeah. chai, like it's obviously not the same thing. But that said that like, if you look at like crypto, for example, like Indian crypto projects are some of like the category leaders. And I love the way the playing field is being leveled. Absolutely. So I think th- this very conversation is a beautiful example of uh, level playing yeah. field, right? So all you need yeah. is an internet connection and a Zoom and you can just do whatever you feel like doing. Coming back to your time at uh, Berkeley, uh, so mm-hmm. one recurring theme throughout your career has been you are so certain of what you want to do, where you want to be, right? I sense a lot of clarity in that, uh, mm-hmm. which makes me very curious why did you opt to go and work for stripe uh, it looks like at that point of time you were already clear about a path in vc especially uh, with your internships and everything what prompted you to not take that direction but instead uh, choose a company like stripe it's funny you say that because um i would say like the reality of what's going on in someone's mind and how like the other person's perceiving that can be so different <laughs> same with companies right like what's what you think is going on from the outside and what's going on from the inside so it probably comes across as more clear than it is but there's one thing that's actually been like um a good compass which is what gives me energy and what takes away energy and what like it was just very energizing to work at Mithril. you know I was also so taken by it like I was I was 20 at the time. I'd never had a full-time job. There were like these like, you know, important people like trying to teach me stuff. Like even other things like the their office 
um, the canteen was as close to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco that you can possibly get. It was like literally like one of those like Zoom wallpapers. But all of and the reason I bring this up is that like whenever you want something, right? Like I think it's always like an immersive experience. I don't think it's ever like, oh, this market is growing and that's all I want this thing. There's so many other inputs and it just happened that like I was lucky enough to work at that fund when I was that young um because at like at some point of time almost like a hundred percent of my work experience was at that one place right before I graduated so of course had such an outsized impact um on my worldview but yeah so I've always just tried to be really tuned into what gives me what gives me energy and what drains my energy but there's some other things that I've kind of picked up along the way that was not obvious to me like um, Stripe and True they are incredible organizations, but I was picking the organizations. And the reason I picked those organizations was I was like, okay, these people are going to build like, you know, like this is directionally where the world is going. And these people are going to build like an important part of like, like the tool set for the future, like specifically business infrastructure, because that's what Stripe and TrueLayer do, like business API infrastructure. But I was picking the organizations. I wasn't necessarily picking the people within the organization. And the thing that's been really rewarding about working at, working at Weekend Fund is that I was like, after working with Ryan for maybe like two months part-time, so 10 hours a week, I was like, I want to work for this person, right? And that was like quite a like shift in the way that I do things. And I wish even earlier in my career, I picked people that I sincerely want to be like to work for rather than organizations. And that's not at all to say that like Trulia and, you know, Stripe were not worthwhile. And um, they were unbelievable experiences, but I just was, I was picking the organization. I was never picking like my direct boss. And now going forward, I think I'll always pick the one or two people that I get most, most exposure to when I'm doing the job. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I think I was very fortunate in that way. I got to start off at a very small startup where mm -hmm. uh, my CEO and now mentor, he had a lot of impact on how I saw the world. And I'm yeah. always grateful for that, you know, something that is probably a little hard to come by at a larger organization. So I want to come back to Weekend Fund and your experience yeah. working with Ryan in just a bit. I also wanted to touch upon the time you lost the H-1B visa. Um, mm -hmm. Feel free to be as short or as elaborate as you want to be here. What was that time like? Did it come as a huge setback or uh, did you see it more as an opportunity to kind of reconnect, figure out what goals you wanted to set for the next three, five years? So um, because the H-1B visa, so I was fortunate enough that I was at a company that was able to actually, you know, apply for the visa, but it's really out of your control. And the thing is that like when something's out of your control, there's essentially like, you know, two ways you can react to it. One way and the better way to react to it is like, this is out of my control, right? Another way to like react to it is like, I resent this because this is out of my control. And when something's being taken away from you, you just instinctively pull back. And I kind of took the second path, let's say at the time um, I was, yeah, I was like heartbroken because I was like, 
my like my life in the Bay Area felt like it was really starting to compound, you know, the relationships, etc. And then I had to leave in retrospect, and I just could not have known this at the time. Um, it is one of the best decisions I ever made. It wasn't a decision at all. Um, I didn't have that much of a choice in it, but I'm, um, I'm far, like, I feel like I'm just like far close, far more closer to the person I want to be here in London than I was in the Bay Area. Um, so that's, yeah, that was that. But also I think what I did with that gap year was pretty important. Like I left India when I was 17, for example. And like the one of the best parts of Indian culture is that like the amount of love, like parents, grandparents, like community family puts into you, you're just like overflowing, you know, a lot of the time, like most people are like overflowing with this kind of love. And because I'd spent like five and a half years abroad, and really only coming back for like one or two weeks of the Christmas, I felt like I was just running so short of that kind of love. I also hadn't like meaningfully spent time with my family. So yeah, that was really good because then I think like I really got recharged um, and I was just like in a far better place after that year than I was going into the year. That's beautiful. And bear, yeah. bear with me as I throw in another Disney reference. Yeah. So it's one of those, you know, Simba coming back to the kingdom after a lot of years and the entire group is just so happy to have him back, you know. It probably also gave you this confidence and it showed you the way that you can do things over the internet mm-hmm. just as good as you can get them done, say, sitting in a cafe at the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, totally. That as well, but also... I didn't have a Google calendar during that year and just like having periods in your life where you that are free form like you know it kind of was like going back to my childhood in a way it's like okay like if I really want to spend the next eight hours reading this like young adult fiction book that's like really I'm probably gonna learn nothing from but I just can't stop reading it then like I should just do that. Um, like things like that and I think that really like just like re-energized me. Coming to your journey at Weekend Fund, what do you do at Weekend Fund and uh, how has it been working with Ryan? So what are some of the companies that you focus on? Yeah, totally. So Weekend Fund is an early stage fund. So we typically invest in the pre-seed or seed round of companies that are capitalizing on some sort of consumer behavior or technology shift. And Ryan, um, who's my boss and my teammate, he started the fund back in 2017. Uh, For context, he also founded Product Hunt, which has kind of become this like default launch pad for for, uh, new products on the internet, Uh, kind of like the front page, I guess, of new products on the internet. And Ryan started it, uh, started Weekend Fund back in 2017. He was still running Product Hunt at the time. His thinking was straightforward. He was like, every single day of my life, I wake up and I see new new products launch on the internet, right? On something that I and the team and Product Hunt have built. I want to spend the night, my nights and weekends investing in companies. So he raised Weekend Fund One, which was a $3 million fund. 
Um, fast forward, we are now at Weekend Fund 3. Um, and um, it's a $20 million fund. Um, this fundraise was unique because uh, we did what we called a community raise uh, for, a, for a part of the fund. We raised from founders and operators who are outside of our network. And the reason we did that is because we essentially want to double down on like a community driven direction where we're basically our portfolio companies and even companies outside of our portfolio longer term are able to leverage founders and operators and their experiences to actually, you know, get competitive advantage. So that's Weekend Fund. Uh, we are two person. And so we are a two-person investment team. Uh, we just hired a community builder as well in London. So now we're three-person team. Um, so her name's Mariam. She'll be kind of working on this more like, you know, executing in the more community-driven uh, direction that we want the fund to take. Um, and there are some um, kind of going back to those consumer behavior or technology shifts. There's some shifts that we're uh, really bullish on. Um, so uh, the first one, we, I briefly mentioned this, is the rise of remote and distributed work. Ryan actually um, was basically running Product Hunt remotely from the, you know, from day one. It was, it's like a 20 person team distributed over eight countries, I believe, eight or 10 countries. So he's really lived out that like remote work lifestyle so much longer than like basically the rest of the world. Uh, like for him, it wasn't just like a COVID reaction. And that really turned us on to opportunities in the space. Uh, for example, we're investors in a company called Deal, which is a payroll provider for remote teams. They're doing extremely well. Uh, we're also um, bullish on the future of vertical hiring marketplaces. Uh, I love hiring and recruiting as a problem space. I personally have a side project in the space, but generally the thing with marketplaces are very enduring um, if you are able to execute on them, but building something vertical, it just gives you a kind of focus to solve problems for that user. And you're often able to do it far better than if you were building like a more horizontal solution. We're also increasingly really falling down the crypto uh, rabbit hole. So we're especially interested in social tokens, tokenized media, uh, you know, social token infrastructure, because Ryan obviously has built one of the most thriving communities on the internet with Product Hunt. Um, and it feels like social tokens are the first like natively digital software for communities. Uh, on the internet, you know, kind of like puts like a framework around how can I contribute to a community in a way where I actually benefit from the upside that the community generates. Uh, so uh, we're investors in a company called Roll, uh, which actually builds infrastructure for social tokens. We're also, because all of my pre-investing experience has been at API infrastructure companies, um, and I think it's just like a very valuable thing to be doing. Um, I'm also increasingly interested in like crypto infrastructure companies. So authentication, payments, like all of that. Uh, we're investors in a company called Magic, which is basically building like the Okta, like the authentication layer for Web2, uh, bridging to Web3 companies, which is really interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other themes we're really interested in. Just rapid fire. Uh, we love tools that enable entrepreneurship. 
on the internet where investors in a company called Makeshift. Um, this is going to sound weird when I describe it, but trust me, they're doing very well. Um, they are a, uh, they're kind of like a Kickstarter uh, type crowdfunding campaign for plushy toys. Um, and they sell to uh, animators, illustrators, and like other folks in the creator economy. Um, yeah, I mean, a bunch of other stuff, right? Like it's, you know, it's a two person investment team. So it's like really what we are excited about, we projected onto the fund and that's what like the fund, you know, is also excited about, which right. is just a very small team. <laughs> Amazing. I think uh, you have a habit of, you know, just putting out a lot of interesting stuff mm. on a conversation in the shortest time possible. Once again, a lot of threads that I want to unravel. Yeah. <laughs> One question that I have is uh, you started at Weekend Fund uh, as a part-time member, uh, of course, working over the weekends, working late nights. Yeah. So at what point were you certain that you wanted to jump in full-time was it a matter of the company itself scaling its efforts or uh, was it more like you growing confident in the into the role uh, mm. given this is your first stint as a VC yeah so um, Ryan interviewed me for the role and also Ryan's girlfriend Susie also interviewed me for the role. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, oh my God, I just need to figure out a way to hang out with these people more. I just like really enjoyed those conversations. Um, and sorry if these answers are slightly basic, but they're just like the truth of the situation. You know, when you just like leave like a conversation being like, I need to work with this person. Like that was kind of the, the feeling there. But what I needed to figure out, validate in the, in the first few months part time was how well we work together. When you're part of a two person team, having that kind of professional chemistry is really important. Ryan's also, um, he is excellent at what he does. Um, he also has like what is like a very high like excellent reflex in that like his like benchmark for stuff is actually like extremely high so I just needed to figure out you know like can I actually contribute to the fund in a way that actually leaves this better off leaves the fund in a stronger place and I'm, can I actually you know work well with Ryan so I think it was pretty clear that that was the case maybe two 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 uh, ish months in maybe two or three months in got it so i think that's the most magical feeling right so first yeah. conversation you have with someone and you're certain i don't want this to be the last you know <laughs> yeah exactly zooming out a little bit here i think you are uh, an amazing example of someone capitalizing on uh, the full power of the internet in a way, you know, I love uh, <laughs> say if you were to start out today as a 17 year old or a 20 year mm. old, uh, how would you go about building a career on the internet? So where would you start from? What will you keep in mind? How would you approach learning different subjects? I think the most important thing there um, would be, I would just produce 
more than I consume. And the thing is that like, I've, I'm actually not very good at this and I'm trying to become better at this. It's not even like, you know, like 27 year old me has like really figured this out that like 17 year old me did not know. But it, it's just this idea that we're constantly, like all of us are benefiting from this like collection of stuff on the internet. But all of that stuff that was produced by people just like us and essentially, if we're like consuming stuff, it's almost like I've started increasingly now to try to think of it more as like a sort of obligation to actually give. So you're, you know, you have this podcast, for example, which I think is like a great way to actually give back to that like pool that you're drawing from. And I'm sure you have other projects as well. And the other thing would be, I would try to go really deep in understanding what people who have choices, right? When you're 17, you don't, you know, you, the world, like you're still very undervalued by the world, right? So one, I think interesting thing is like figuring out people who are like, you know, correctly valued by the world. Like, what are they choosing to spend their time on? Like the person who could really be doing anything with their time, what are they choosing there? Because that can be a very good indication of the future. Uh, this is a part of my motivation for running a side project that I have, uh, where I basically feature talent looking for their next thing, because I just get to understand the one question I ask everybody who gets featured on talent drop is that what is the one job you would drop everything for? And I think when you're 17, you should figure out like that star PM from Google, what is the one job they would drop everything for? Right. And I think like, try to invest everything you have. And, and if assuming this is something that you're actually interested in, or at least come up with like a short list and then invest in those things. Uh, I would also really use like the full power of the internet. But when I was younger, what I was doing essentially is that, that like I was reaching out to people who were like far busier than I was and essentially asking for that time. But I wasn't really starting the relationship from like a point of generosity. I was starting it from a point of like taking versus giving. And what I wish I'd done essentially was have something. I think it doesn't matter what the project is, like as long as it allows you to, to start a relationship with a point of generosity, right? Like I'm sure for you, it feels good to be like, hey, like I'd love to feature you on my podcast. Just like, you know, for me, it feels good to say, hey, I'd love to feature you on Talent Drops. Um, so I think just having like that one project that allows you to like build relationships with interesting people from a point of generosity also um, should probably be just spending all of your time like building stuff because you have time when you're 17 and you know like you can like pursue like insane curiosity trips also when something doesn't make sense I think you should make note of that there's usually like all of the interesting stuff I think it's like, huh, I don't know why like things are that way. They really shouldn't be that way or they shouldn't be that hard. Or like, you know, when it's like, huh, like that's weird. It's so weird that the world works like that. I think you should probably maintain like a list of like, that's really weird type problems as well. I think it's quite useful and it'll like serve you uh, later in life. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty much it. Honestly, none of this is like advice necessarily. But it's no, just, um, I, I, I absolutely loved it. 
I I I love how you, the different parts of your answer to that question. There was a Steve Jobs flavor to it, right? So you know, <laughs> the first one was. <laughs> I think at this point you're really growing tired of it, but I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I love, love this. <laughs> right you know so the first thing you said about uh, everything that's built on the internet uh, it's done by the same people as you so which is uh, you know steve jobs famously said uh, you know how everything around you was made by people who were no smarter than you and uh, of course you touched upon time what do you think about that because like i'm just not convinced that everything around me was built by people no, no smarter than me like that just seems like off you know in that like there are tons of things built by people we're a lot smarter than me i i think it's super interesting because it's yeah. a matter of applying what you're good at to doing what yeah. you're interested at for example so something as simple as you know i've spent like around 10 15 years of my time just memorizing the most useless of pro wrestling speeches all this john cena or your cm punk i can tell every promo that they cut by heart which is absolutely useless but it has also helped me become better at communicating stuff that it's wow. second nature to me uh, so but i look at an engineer who codes right let's say mm-hmm. i cut a promo i ask somebody to put it up on the internet i'm fascinated mm. at how that is getting done you know i can't mm-hmm. do that if my life depended on it and uh, yeah. my engineer friend he probably wonders how memorize mm. these speeches and all right uh, the same goes for something like dancing i can't like even if you put a hair, crystal to my head <laughs> i can't dance you know even one move so i think it's got to uh, maybe smart is over simplifying things but it's a matter of mm. just really finding where you are truly good mm, at that's really interesting i think that that was a lovely way to close the conversation although i have a small part called random deck which is just different in that i'm going to ask you shorter questions instead of the monologues that i gave you and uh, you feel free to answer them at a pace that you are comfortable in here goes the first one what is an absolute non negotiable for you in life it's a good question um it's not a non negotiable but i want uh, actually having relationships um that are low trust that's a no go uh for me that usually like it's and it just gets worse over time um and i also increasingly don't want to be spending my time on stuff whether relationships or otherwise that i don't actually see compounding in the long term so next one what is your favorite word in english what's my favorite word in english this is such a good one da, da, da. Mm, maybe compounding actually <laughs> that's nice <laughs> so i think that's probably one of my top three words as well okay yeah it's a good one Good, Compound. good framework. Right. Yeah. Compounding, leveraging. So basically, all picked up from Naval's podcast. Yeah, exactly. Everything Naval says is my favorite word. <laughs> so, uh, what is something that you want to be known for by the time you turn eighty? Mm, being generous. That's amazing. Right. Uh, 
what is a good habit that you are trying to work into your life and a bad habit that you are trying to get rid of oh my god i have the worst sleep schedule i end up staying up way too late on the internet and i feel awful the next day so that's both a bad habit i'm trying to get rid of and good habit that i'm trying to you know i develop it's hard changing habits is very hard nice so now i'm going to hold you to it that's the whole point yeah. of this thing yes. we have it on record now yes exactly right um what is the book that you have uh, gifted the most uh, i think i know the answer to this one having listened to you uh, bring this up on a couple of other occasions but i still want to uh, go ahead and ask this for the folks listening i love books Actually I was I had friends over 2 days ago and I think I'm trying to find the same book to give to one of them. Um I love this book called When Breath Becomes Air. Um it's by Paul Kalanithi who unfortunately passed away even sh- shortly before finishing the book. But it's basically a memoir who's written that's written by this guy Paul who's in his final year of neurosurgery training at Stanford and it's like I don't know like let's say 12 years of training up until that point and the contrast in this book is just stunning in that like they have like a daughter while he's essentially he has so he sorry i should say he develops late stage lung cancer and he has like uh they have a newborn daughter come into the world and the the daughter is all future he's all past and there a bunch of different contrasts that this book explores um he's also just he's just like a gorgeous writer um yeah absolutely yeah, it's such an endearing read um incidentally one of the other guests on the podcast had recommended the same really um, i mm. ended up um, purchasing the book and reading it yeah. i loved every page of it and um, finally i think it was only uh, when was friday yeah just a couple of days back i gifted one of my close friends the same book right oh really yes <laughs> I, what's the book out of your out of curiosity what's the book you gifted the most or we can you can tell me after the show <laughs> <laughs> sure uh i don't think i've actually done that enough times to have one book but when breath becomes air has become that favorite for me mm-hmm. uh, over the last one year as well so that is why i was really excited to ask you the question oh, yeah. i knew the answer to it uh, i think uh, atomic habits uh, so yeah it's, uh, yeah it's a very obvious choice uh, especially for someone in my age group uh, to get into this groove of doing things on a consistent basis so that would be my favorite and i love footwear shoes anything that's got to do with phil knight's shoe dog is an absolute favorite for me thank you for yeah. asking i yeah. generally don't get to answer this a lot <laughs> no i'm so i'm so curious about what other people are reading and gifting their okay. friends so on to the next one uh, who's the biggest inspiration for you that you have never really admitted i've never really admitted um i have admitted this but my like my grandparents are actually huge inspirations um for me they ryan and my granddad are the two single most generous people that i know weirdly um and my grandpa um 
they just have an incredible story but the tldr is that like they're not really so my grandpa dropped out of fifth grade school my grand grandmom dropped out of third grade um and that ended up building like this like chain of like flour mills in south india and um they are so 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 unbelievably generous if you hang out with my grandpa like the last time i hung out with him he got at least five calls of people telling him that they needed a fridge or their like mom needed money for medication etc maybe funded about like 30 people's weddings they are yeah they're like a force in people's lives that other people are able to depend on when my grandma passed away like a thousand people came from the funeral and my dad said what was interesting is that like all the people that she'd interacted with essentially at the start of the journey at the start of their journey came for the came for the funeral which is really touching right yeah totally you know if if there is even a remote chance for this to happen uh, i think you should probably connect ryan and your granddad on a call because that's yeah, just, like, yeah. that's a sentence like i never okay, really I love- expected to you know hear <laughs> ryan and my yeah. granddad are two of my inspirations i mean imagine the kind of conversations that two people from such different journeys <laughs> and totally different generations should have you know even if it's for three minutes or five minutes i i have a feeling it will be yeah yeah i love that idea i need to make this happen totally right yes count me in if you want a host to do that yeah yeah out of the next one so if there was a billboard in every town in the world and uh, you got to say what went on in the board so basically giving a message for every person in the world what would you want the billboard to say yeah uh i would want it to say how you spend your time becomes the story of your life yes it's so simple and beautiful <laughs> yeah nice uh okay what is the final one so who's yeah. someone in your network you'd want to nominate on the takeaway club podcast now that you have been here and you know what to expect who do you think would make for an interesting conversation Oh yeah, uh two people. Um one is my brother, Bobitel. I really love my family. Um he is one of the smartest people I've ever met um in my life. Um and just has like a very interesting perspective on things. He's also very multidisciplinary. Like he spends maybe 5 hours a day just reading and it's like done something to his brain that like is just like weird when you interact with it in like the best way possible another is my friend Sharik and um, he's actually uh he's building robots in a warehouse in East London right now and um, he has like the most incredible story I, i i just love people who have good stories essentially like i will do anything to listen to a good story from someone else and i think both of them have great stories It's amazing yeah um that so i think that wraps up our conversation here and uh, yeah. to be honest so time is the only thing that's uh, you know <laughs> making me want to jump <laughs> off the call here yeah <laughs> i would have this has been great <laughs> i would have loved if we went on for a couple of hours as well so uh, i think you are just one of those people who's an absolute 
joy to speak with and uh, so incredibly smart and uh, generous with the things that you say um, so i'm so glad that i reached out and this was made possible yeah i'm so grateful that you reached out as well and we got to chat uh, thank you so much for having me